Welcome to Marine Lines, a podcast about Mumbai's hidden worlds from the suburbs to the sea. I'm Raghu Karnad. You know, a funny thing about Mumbai is how rarely its residents go out on the water. There is the ferry to Ali Bagh and there are a few expensive yachts riding at anchor below the gateway of India. But when I look out to the open sea, the only boats in sight are fishing boats. And I always admire them because these are the only people in Mumbai whose paths do not end where the waves begin. They obviously know many things about what it means to live here. So it's not surprising that these fishing communities are the oldest inhabitants of Mumbai. They are the Kohli's. And this has been their home long before there was a city here or buildings or even docks. Since Kolaba and Mazgao and Parel were all separate islands floating on the edge of the Arabian Sea. Everything has changed now, but many still live in their villages. They still net and clean and sell the fish that ends up on our thalis. And they still know better than almost anyone the hidden world of marine life that surrounds this metropolis. Ganesh Nakua belongs to the Kohli community. His surname actually comes from the word for boat. And he's been going out on fishing boats since the age of 11. He's studied and traveled to many places, but he returned to Mumbai to help organize Kohli villagers, especially women, to secure their livelihoods and preserve their traditions. He's also a founder of Blue Catch, which you'll find on Instagram, which connects people who eat seafood, like me, to fresh, traceable, and sustainable catch from Mumbai's traditional fishermen. Ganesh, thank you for joining us. Hi, Raghu. Thank you. Thank you guys for giving this opportunity. And a big hello from all the Kohli community of Mumbai. Lovely. So, can you tell us what it was like growing up in a Kohli fishing community, both your personal experience, but also what you learned from older generations and their traditions? Raghu, as far as you can uh, trace my... uh, generation you know i can trace to up to seven generation uh, people call me seven generation fisherman and uh, though i did my first deep sea fishing trick at the age of 11 but my father taught me fishing from the age of three or four you can say you know and those times fishing was always in the creek i still remember when a small uh, canoe or a hoodie what you call it that's actually a nauka if you own a nauka you are a nakwa actually my surname is a Koli, but uh, if I am a boat owner, people call us a Nakwa. So that's the strange thing about Koli community. Uh, but yeah, at, from age of three, from catching fish in creek to adult now at the age of 34, catching fish in a deep sea, a lot has changed. Since grandfather doing fishing with no engines at all, with the help of air, to us catching fish with the horsepower of 400. So a lot has changed in last over 100 years. So any special memories from your younger years going out fishing with your father? Uh, it was age of 11 when uh, there were Diwali holidays when most of my friends from school used to travel for holidays. But I decided to go deep sea fishing on our own fishing boat. And I still remember we were cruising off the coast of Dabul at 25 kilometers from the coastline. And that was my first sight of a big blue whale being cruising just side to our boat. And there was a big fountain coming out from the ocean. No, and uh, the crew, I still remember the name of the captain, uh, Roheda Standel. He's from Goagar. Goagar is a big fishing village. You know, most of our fishing crew is from Goagar. And he immediately ran to the small kitchen of our boat and bought coconuts. And I asked him, why was the coconut for? And he went onto the starboard side of the boat and break the coconut 
by seeing that whale and pray to the sea that okay hope for a good fish hope for a good season so that's the way of uh, you know treating marine life since generation and generation and that's when i learned you know how fishing and marine life goes together with a lot of religion and culture as well and similarly there have been many example when i was fishing not not at the age of 11 but from the age of 3 as well spotting turtles and dolphins in the creeks to spotting a big whale in a ocean at as early as age 11 So in the community it's not just about uh, about treating the fish and the marine life as your catch but also regarding them as a kind of through a sort of spiritual lens is that correct Yes it does it does if you if you speak to Ali Koli guy and uh, if you ask for what do you call a blue whale they will say a dev masa so there's a dev pronunciation in that fish if you ask what you call turtle they say kasav dev so kasav is a word for turtle but they add dev next to it and at the same time dolphin you ask them it's called harkai dev and it's a big whale shark as well they called it bairi dev so you see that they have already named this beautiful marine life or animals uh, as compared to god you know uh, because they know the importance of these for very very long time and we've been protecting it not documenting it because there was no technology to document it, obviously for your generations huh? but recently with the help of mobile and communication and technology we are able to do that that's amazing and from your childhood you must have been familiar with all kinds of different fish and seafood on a very different level from the rest of us who just eat them do you have a favorite species from mumbai's kind of classic species that uh, that you got to know on the boat uh, yes uh, species like sakla i mean or species like chappal you know very surprising name uh, of a fish called chappal you know Yeah, the actual name is leather jacket fish but there is there is a fish which looks like a chappal it's really flat and it's like a chappal so when i was fishing i think it was in 2003 uh, and both the fishes the, they are into the shadow of a boat you know or a shadow of a small garbage patch which you see in the ocean the both fish cobia and leather jacket they swim uh, below the shadow so uh, when i spotted them you know then i thought you know even marine life need shadow i mean that, that was one interesting fact about the those both fishes and when i when we get got that fish onto the board when i ate them as well there was a very distinct flavor of both the fishes so not like surmai or pomfret there's there's similar stories to every fisherman or all coli guy you know everybody must be having their own particular special fish not just pomfret and surmai yes i'm sure and of course there are so many more fish that are good to eat in in these waters than the ones that uh, that people nowadays just rely on and 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 treat as staples but we'll come back to that for now i wanted to stay on the on the koli community how many fishing villages do you feel there were maybe maybe there's no exact count and how many still remain in the greater mumbai area if you call it greater mumbai or the bombay uh, before independence you know the area was much larger and i i would recollect there were thousands of hamlets you know across alibag raigad uh, thana panvel uh, palgar hopuli everywhere there are thousands of them you know the recent example also even in the bmc there are almost 275 fish markets or uh, koli markets within the community so that was a vast area of koli community and it's clearly there in our geography if you open your google map even today and start scrolling just nearby bombay and you see the creeks which is flowing from bombay to thana or the one which is flowing from bainder to thana and the other one which is going from belapur up to karjat khopli there's a big mangrove area and within this mangrove area are all small koli fishing villages 
which for centuries had been fishing in creeks, not even in the open ocean, because creeks were so clear and unpolluted that entire fishing livelihood was dependent on these Bombay creeks, our creeks. We call it Khadi, Khadi Klimashi. And a lot of Kohli villages that do remain, um, not just in and around Mumbai, but also elsewhere on the Maharashtra coast, they've basically stopped fishing, haven't they? And not out of choice. It's a complex scenario, but there's various pressures on Kohli villages that include commercial overfishing and land grabs and, of course, pollution that are making it harder and harder for people to maintain traditional fishing livelihoods. Is that correct? As, as my father used to tell me you know, in 70s and 80s, when most of the fishing was in Mumbai Creek, you, know, you don't need to go anything far than five kilometers off a coastline. That's not the scenario now. When the Indian economy opened up, when the globalization started, industrialization started, the land near Bombay was up for grabs. So many MIDCs, Maharashtra Industrial Development Corporation areas, came within next to these Koli areas. And that's when the real problem started. All of the creeks started with the chemicals, untreated sewage, the plastic pollution, and that's how the fishing in the creek stopped. And once the fishing in the creek stopped, there was no alternative livelihood for such a big community. And people had to go away from the coast. That was the main reason for most of the Koli within the city and nearby city had to give up their occupation because of the industrialization. Yes, people who were fishing away from the creek faced a similar issue of overfishing within the community and from the other forces as well. But if you talk about particularly Mumbai, the pollution and untreated sewage which started flowing from these MIDCs. I would like to name one person. Yogesh uh, is my very good friend. Uh, he's from Roadpali. If you see his Instagram or Facebook, he's being alone single-handedly cleaning an entire Roadpali creek. He has stopped a big mafia of a toxic chemical uh, plant owners. And uh, he's a fantastic guy. And we have seen changes what he has done. The Roadpali creek almost cleaned once because they were not dumping any sewage or uh, any chemical in that. And the mullet fish, which is locally called boit, or the curdy kolbi, or the jitadas, they started coming into the creeks. That's amazing. And I'm sure it takes a lot of guts and daring to do that, because uh, you have to go up against some powerful interests to help defend the environment. But, you know, last year, during the national lockdown, we got a glimpse of how ecosystems can recover and regenerate with just a small pause in industrial activity. Did you guys notice something similar during the lockdown around your villages? It did major, uh, made a major impact because, you know, not only Bombay, but the entire west coast of India or the east coast of India had stopped fishing. There was no fishing at all, absolutely no fishing. So imagine water without fishing. At the same time, all the creeks and river without the pollution because not only fishing stopped, but the entire MIDC or the industry or the manufacturing had stopped as well. Plus, the people, you have seen the Bombay population, the people who travel every day, we drink bisleri, we do day-to-day -day packages. Everything used to go into, end up into the creeks. That was not happening. And what we saw in the early monsoon and after monsoon, there were actually a good catch. Example to be given in Kalan Dumbuvli area. Many of my friends stay there. They haven't seen any catch for the last 30 years in those creeks. But due to such a long break of five months of no manufacturing and no fishing happening, they actually saw the big prawns, the jitada fish and the mullet fish and the crabs come back to the creeks. That was just an example in the creeks. But if you ask me in the open ocean as well, the fish size, what the pomfret, what people usually eat in Bombay of 50 grams or 100 grams, that was slowly increasing to 200 to 300 grams. At the same time, the prawns had increased, the mackerel had increased. So there was 
big change. It really is amazing how ecosystems can regrow and recover from just a little pause in human activity. But Ganesh, I want to learn a little bit more about you. You've studied abroad and you, you were in Edinburgh and probably had an opportunity to do a lot of different things, but you've chose, chosen to come back uh, to Bombay and, and work with your community in Mumbai. Tell us a little bit about that journey and what it's felt like to be back. Uh, it was a big decision, Raghu, to be very frank. In 2010, uh, when I had just finished my degree and the internship in Aegon Asset Management in Edinburgh, Scotland. Uh, but my dad used to continuously call me. To be very frank, the reason I came back was for my dad. He was not catching good fish. His boats were getting old. And I think that some passion in me for fishing always stayed. As I told you earlier, uh, when at the age of 11, I went deep sea fishing. And that was not one fishing trip. Ever since and until 12th standard, I made sure every Diwali holiday I went fishing. And that's, that's the only reason I'm still so passionate for the fishing. So when the opportunity came for me to come back, I wouldn't say no. At that time, it wasn't even a thought of uh, doing so much of a community work or be, I will be a part of a society. But I just knew that it's so much of unorganized structure of fisheries of India, not only in Mumbai, but across India. And there's so much to do. That was one reason. And I still remember I got goosebumps. I had a JP Morgan offer at that time, you know, to join their company. And I had two year visa as well. So I had to give up that and came back. Initially two years, you know, I worked hard for my father's boat, built new boats, catch a lot of fish but always felt that there's something missing, you know, something really missing about what I'm doing. And that's when I realized uh, the communication uh, between the colleagues and the consumer is lacking. And that's when I realized I have to grow on a bigger platform, go on a society, go on a social work where, you know, if you see, it's hard to say, but colleagues lack respect. In spite of doing the world's toughest job of fishing, we colleagues are not gaining that respect. You, you, you travel by train, you will hear someone saying, uh, the fisherwoman is catching, uh, going, it's smelly. In classroom, we are always heard the examples of, you know, uh, this, is, this a, is this a fish market? So I didn't like that. And I wanted to change that. Yeah, even, the, even the villages themselves, I know that because the Kohli villages hang out to Bombay and prawns to dry, then surrounding residents uh, complain about the smell as though the village wasn't there doing that long before these residents arrived. That's what, I mean, if you you, you just bought the biggest topic of the Koli, you know, the islands and entire what we call the drying uh, places of Bombay duck and prawns, that's, that's what the island was for, you know. Every morning you go, you catch fish with the help of dole net or bag net, Across the city, you bring back that catch, you dry it, uh, the beet bombida, beet ribbon fish, what we call wakti, or beet prawn zaula. Uh, we used to dry it, we used to do barter system. That's what my grandfather told me. In 30s and 40s, it was all barter system. We take dry fish, then we travel to places like Ekvira, uh, Bapuna, Satara. And that's how we had connection to the gods as well. You know, it's a long story. I don't want to go in that. But coming to the point, when I joined society and see that there's so much of miscommunication between the community and to the consumers and to the outside world as well. That's when I realized you have to connect these dots. You have to bring much more to the community, be it the knowledge, be it the awareness, or be it bringing the younger generation back to the fishing, or be it bringing the employment to the fisherwoman, which they have lost because of the expansion of the city. What is happening today? On the west part, you have a coastal road. On the east part, you have a trans harbour link. There's an airport coming up. There are mangroves being up for the growth of the city. Everything at what cost? 
at the cost of coolies, Ranu. Everything at the cost of coolies. And it really strikes me that that one of the things, one of the prices that the coolies have have to have had to pay is of losing respect, despite being the people who were here first and uh, and and people who are still in touch in some ways with uh, with the ecological reality of of Mumbai's coast and sea. That uh, they're just denied respect, and um, that that rings true because of what other urban residents, uh, uh, you know, what 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 their attitudes are like. But I think the bottom of that is is just uh, is ignorance, and people don't know enough about the community, especially since you've come back as an adult and 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 learned more about your previous generations. What it is that makes you proud uh, to be a member of the Kohli community. I I got a backlash within the community as well. It it wasn't easy, you know. India's favorite dialogue is "Padlik ke kya fayda." So when I came back to fishing, and everyone was like, "Padlik ke wapas hai, wapas fishing," where most of the people wanted to go away from the fishing. That is what you are running away from the problems. So I I always took as a challenge, you know, why to run away from such a beautiful occupation? It's just a matter of time. You need to earn the respect for what you are doing. You are catching fish, and it just need respect. So first, I had to change the mentality of my own community. Then I had to face the world, and to do that took a lot of toll. But uh, as you as as you as you see what is happening with farming or other other industry, it's the same thing happening with the fishing. You know, to earn the respect, you have to change the few things. To you have to be sustainable. To keep coolies in the city or across Maharashtra, the fishing has to survive. So that's what I have realized in last ten years. You know, if if the fishing stays. The community stays. The coolie stays. So similarly in Bombay, I have realized what older generations have not realized. They didn't make the generation be active in fishing. You know, it. They always thought fishing. Even the community thought the fishing is not a respectable uh, occupation, and that is the major reason you see a lot of young guys not actively in fishing and younger women as well. That's when I was asking if if you eat fish in the fish market, if you go to buy fish. You will see one similarity. Most of the fish selling women are above fifty or sixty. There is no younger woman sitting in fish market selling fish. So I think, wow, why, why, why I'm working so much for this community is to bring back the generation and the new young generation guys back into fishing so that the occupation sustain. Right. And one kind of infrastructure you're building for your community is a better linkage between uh, the fishing and the new markets. You know, helping people, helping them reach people who are buying online and things like that. And you used social media early on to help build these linkages. Tell tell us about what it is you're creating that helps uh, women in particular, but also all all, all of the coolies. To have their livelihood and their work be sustainable. What we discussed the earlier part, you know, so many fishing hamlets were across uh, Mumbai metropolitan region. We as Thana, Palghar, Karjat, Khopoli. As far as those fishing villages are concerned, the staple diet is still a fish. You know, they need fish every day at home. So they travel hundreds of kilometers every day to these big harbors. Why are they traveling today? There is no fishing happening in the creeks now. So to continue that, we are, we are engaging more and more women to keep doing that. If the new harbors are coming in, we are actively telling fisherwomen, you know, to take those jobs. Or many fisherwomen, many fisherwomen in the city now now they have started to cook. They are they are supplying with the help of Tiffin, with the help of Instagram, with the help of WhatsApp. So they are cooking, uh, they are selling, uh, they are even selling the raw fish. Many of the fisherwomen have taken the value-added things, you know. Something I've heard you emphasize is how much the consumers' choices, you know, end up affecting the fishermen and women. There are small daily things that we can do to help support 
traditional fishing communities and also to do less damage to fish populations and the marine ecosystem. So I know that there are important things that need to happen at the level of policy. And I know that you work on that as well. But for our listeners, tell us about some of the personal decisions that can be made. And also, if you can, give a shout out to some of the social media handles that you think we should follow so that we can make better decisions. It's, it's a scary, you know, that uh, even if you live in a tropical climate and uh, abundance of so much of fish, uh, most of us, most of us are surrounded by fishes only by pomfret, surma and prawns. You know, that's what we had started our conversation with. We're surrounded by basa and salmon and things that are flown in from far away. Most of the restaurant industry is still stuck with basa and salmon. Whereas if you if you go to any local fisherman and ask him the species, he will give you a seasonal species. If you want to eat mackerel, he will give you a particular time to eat mackerel. If you want to eat mullet or catfish or squids, he will give you a particular time to eat fish. Nobody knows that Bombay duck you get in abundance in only monsoons. So that's the way to go. Uh, that's the way to go ahead. And it will help in uh, overfishing, you know, because I'll give an example. If yesterday I went for a fishing and catch 10 kg of fish, that 10 kg of fish can't be pomfret and surmai. It will have 2 kg of prawns, 2 kg of bombay duck, 2 kg of anchovies and catfish and other fishes as well. So who is going to eat that? So all these beautiful fishes ends up very cheaply. And whereas people only go for very expensive stuff like pomfret and surmai. So if people change their, on a daily basis, change their eating habits, and we get importance of commercial, uh, a small commercial increase in our species, we don't have to catch so much of fish. So that's that's what we are doing. And that's my handle all about the last fisherman of Bombay, where we tell people that, you know, I don't want to be a last fisherman. I want more people to uh, come back in fishing. So for that, you have to change your consumer habits. And the same thing is uh, done by in-season or the know your fish. These guys are also spreading beautiful message of what fish to consume in which month. That's beautiful. The last fisherman of Bombay. Is that your handle? Yeah, that's my handle. I like that. And I hope that uh, the success of your work means that uh, these won't be the last fishermen of Bombay and that practices that have kept humans living sustainably, harvesting fish will actually be able to to, to survive and uh, that all of us will be able to eat and eat more seasonal fish and not just eat into the permanent stocks of the life that surrounds us in the sea. Raghu, in short words, just three simple steps, you know, stop polluting the waters, consume seasonal fish and stop eating the baby or the small fishes. That's all you need to do in the daily life to help Kabulikoli communities of Mumbai. That's great. And it's something that uh, everyone can start doing today if they make that decision. Thank you so much, Ganesh. Good luck with your work and uh, we'll be doing our best to support you. Thank you, Raghu. Thank you.